Good morning. Wow. This is our, you've already had your test, your, your patience tested, and, and uh, here we are. This is awesome. Oh, my goodness. All right. Happy Veterans Day. Do we have any veterans here today? I think we, we have one here with us in the back, so thank you for your service. Um, great to be here today together, so uh, appreciate you taking time to come and being here. Last week, uh, Peter preached to, uh, to you all while I was gone. I got to watch it. I was actually traveling, so I watched it with you um, almost live. I was a few minutes behind, but it was great to hear him ask you a question that I've heard many of you talking about since then. Uh, what question is that that you have been wrestling with? How? Yes. Are you interruptible? How interruptible are you? Yeah. I've heard a lot of you reflecting on that. I remember him asking it, but I've heard a lot of you just thinking about, like, how, can I be in, do I live this pattern? Does God have permission to interrupt me and ask me to do something different? And I thought a lot about that. It's interesting because today, as we look at Ruth chapter 3, there's a little bit of that. The, the themes I was seeing in this was the idea of faith and the idea of risk. How our trust in God can call, cause us to have freedom to take risk for God. The fact that I can trust God. Sometimes God will interrupt us with something that we're not expecting, a need might come into our life for us to take care of, or it might be um, something, an opportunity that he's calling us to take care of, or maybe there's just that internal nudge. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's hard to define that, but that sense from the Holy Spirit of like, step out in faith, step toward this thing and see what happens. And I'm getting a lot of blank looks, like, is it, is that super weird and like undefined. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just kind of give you a sense of like step toward this thing or step out toward, I'm giving you a passion or desire or a vision for something. You have no idea what's past the front of your feet, but I'm asking you to step forward anyways. Does anybody have a clue what I'm talking about at all? Like you've ever, okay, that's better. Thanks. Um, because I've had those experiences. I'm actually working through one right now. So this was like really uh, pertinent to my life of like the Lord saying, there's a thing out here. You have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, but step toward it. Why would we step toward it? Because of what we know about God. Uh, Coley was just talking about in Sunday school today. We know certain things are true about God and certain things are true about us in Christ gives us the freedom that I don't have to depend on the unknown thing. The unknown thing that's in front of me isn't what makes me safe or unsafe or whatever because I have God who's there to hold me and catch me and guide me as I walk forward in Him. So I don't have to be afraid to take some risk once in a while as I move forward toward God. And, and I see some of these themes in play as we look today in Ruth chapter 3. We've met some characters in the book of Ruth. We met Naomi, this Israelite woman who uh, didn't believe. She didn't believe that God would provide needs for her family. She didn't believe God would be able to feed them when, when there was a food scarcity. Right there in the promised land, in Bethlehem, the house of bread, 
She stopped believing God would provide. So they moved to a foreign land. And in that foreign land, over time, her husband died, her sons died. And she's left with with one daughter-in-law who's leaving her and another daughter-in-law, Ruth, who stayed. And so we meet Ruth, this young woman who made these incredible commitments to her mother-in-law. And as they start to come back, as they start to trust again in God and in God's provision, we see God meets that trust with kindness. And he shows kindness to them and bringing them home, shows kindness to them in providing for their, their material needs. And he begins to show kindness to them through a man named Boaz, who owns the field, who's kind of in their clan, and who's, who's, who's showing some protective care. And he's providing for these two women. And in, in Ruth 2.20, Naomi says, The Lord bless Boaz. She said to Ruth, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, The man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. He's someone in the clan who has some responsibility to show care, an opportunity to show care for us in a unique way. And she's saying that God is using him to help provide for us and to protect us. And Naomi's faith is beginning to be restored. She's beginning to trust that the God who put some of these systems in place, I can rest in him. I can trust him. I don't have to be frantic. I don't have to... I don't have to leave. I don't have to be hopeless. But God can be here and God can protect us. So in this story, she introduces for us the idea of this kinsman redeemer. She says, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer from our family. Anybody here have a kinsman redeemer? We're like, I don't know what that means. That is not something we would know what it means. The text doesn't have to explain it because there, everybody there would know exactly what it means. But it's not something that we have in our society. So we're like, what is it? So I looked it up. Kinsman Redeemer is this. The nearest adult male blood relative who served as an advocate for any vulnerable or unfortunate clan member in order to correct any disruption to clan wholeness, well-being, or shalom. So it's kind of cool. This is a person, an, an adult male who has the ability to help someone who's able to watch out for people going through hard times in the extended family. Like there's someone going through a hard time. Hey, I can help you. And they were able to help in a variety of different ways. So we're going to take a look at what that means. Um, and there's, by the way, different translations translate it differently. The, the kinsman redeemer is one word in Hebrew. Uh, the, um, the ESV just translates, translates it redeemer. The New Living Translation will translate that word family redeemer, which I actually really like because that seems to captivate it. You wouldn't do this for a stranger. This is for someone who is part of the extended family group so that you can help keep the family whole, 
so that, you know, it's not survival of the fittest, but it's care for one another as a family. So I've got to uh, put up the next slide. These, there were several different things that a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer could do. They weren't obligated to do any of them, but they could do any of these things. They could redeem or buy back property that a relative lost due to their poverty. Right? Having the extended family property stay in the family was a really big deal. If, if times got tough and people were selling off pieces, now the whole clan would have nothing. Another thing they could do is redeem a relative who had to sell themselves into servitude due to poverty. Right? So, uh, you know, your cousin Steve is on hard times, so he sells himself into someone's servitude for five years. A kinsman redeemer could say, uh, I'm going to pay off Steve's debt. I'm going to pay off his debt. Look, and now he's free to get a new job. They could do all these different things. They could avenge the killing of a clan member. They could, um, uh, they, they could help with uh, money that's going through, help each other in the lawsuits. Um, not, look at number six and number seven. To redeem the wife of the deceased in order to raise heirs of the dead on his, his property with the mother. This keeps families and land together within larger clans. And number seven, to redeem a clan widow facing old age alone without someone to care for them. So this is a story about Boaz who has the opportunity to really apply the first one and number six and seven as a redeemer within the family. And it's, a, it's part of, by the way, it's part of what uh, essentially was their era of the welfare system. You know, we don't think about this stuff because there's laws, there's welfare and government systems. You know, like if, if Kimberly and I die, my, our stuff, what little we have, will be dispersed among the four boys. It's just how it works. It's just part of the system. This was their system, part of their system. It was one of the ways God said, watch out for each other. Help one another. As you trust in me, this is part of that safety net that will be there. So let's take a look at chapter 3 in the book of Ruth. Verse 1 says, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Is that a good idea? Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, right? Mother-in-law's watching out for her young single. I want to find a home. I want you to be well provided for. I want you to have a place. That's really cool. Do mother-in-laws ever stop there? (laughs) I have a good intention for you. Do they ever just stop there? Oh, no. She had a home in mind. She had a person in mind, and she was ready with the, to execute a plan. And she goes on, Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, he's a relative of ours. Okay? I wonder how long that pause was right there. And now, not only did she have a guy all lined up ready to play matchmaker 
for, for Ruth. She even had hatched a plan for how we're going to get this done and how we're going to get it done right now. Okay? This, is, this is ready. They're ready to step out in faith, I guess. Or at least uh, she's ready to push her out the door in faith. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the fleshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, and then go down to the, fleshing, the, the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, and then go over and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Man, that is a plan. I mean, that is detailed, like you're going to go here, you're going to say this, when he does that, it's like all laid out for her. Now, first of all, first thing I need to say, i got to take responsibility for something that I said. Two weeks ago, we were in chapter 2, and I said, as we watch this dynamic between Boaz and Ruth, this is about God's kindness. There's no sign that like he was attracted to her or whatever. Do you remember when I said that? Um, I said it. I, was, I, I forgot about this verse. I was wrong when I said that. Because right here, she's telling her, like, make sure you get cleaned up and dressed in your nice clothes and even smell good for this guy. Um, and I forgot about that that was there. I think it was true in chapter 2. She's just like a dirty sermon girl out in the field. And he is showing kindness. But the story does include that as they shift. And I want to be clear on that because I want to be respectful of God's word. And so as they get in here, um, she's got this plan about going to the threshing floor. That's the place where they would separate. So they would just harvest the whole plant. And then they'd have to beat it and separate it to get the grain separated from the, the, the rest that they could just throw away or burn away. One of the things I learned when living in Iowa a while back was that harvest time was a big deal. When it was time to harvest... It was time to harvest. I mean, not everything else stopped because that, that all the work that you do all year, every rock you pull from the field, every seed you sow, every weed you pull, all the stuff you do was all for the purpose of getting that grain. That's all that mattered. So right now, you got to get the grain out of the field. That's your gold, and you got to protect it. So as they have this plan in place, uh, she's like, he's going to be protecting that. In other words, he's going to be sleeping out by the grain piles tonight. It's just theft deterrent, right? Animals could come in and start eating that stuff. People could steal it. So she knew he would be there and probably other workers as well. And she hatches this plan about go there, watch where he's laying, and when he's asleep, uncover his feet. Have you, ever, have you ever like read this story before and thought about what this means? It seems super, super weird. And, and it almost seems like, is she like crawling into bed with this guy? I've heard, it, I've heard it taught before where she's doing something really inappropriate to try to like seduce him or something like that. I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think what's happening is pretty simple. He sleep. Have anybody ever slept outside? Maybe you're into camping, but like you've just slept outside, not even with a tent. Or maybe you just went through a time when you slept outside for a while. He's sleeping outside. What happens outside? Even in the like in a desert, what happens outside at night? It gets cold. 
it gets cold. I'm one who gets cold easily. Uh, and, and I get really sensitive to this. So maybe that's why I'm thinking I can relate to this. She's like, go find out where he is when he's asleep, just kind of real carefully, like pull the blanket back so his feet are hanging out. What's going to happen to his feet? They're going to get cold. And she's going to be laying on the ground without a blanket down by his feet. So here's the plan. Do that, and then when his feet get cold, he'll sit up to cover his feet, and you'll be there shivering, and he'll go, oh my goodness, I feel so bad for you. I want to care for you. Because <laughs> there is something in middle-aged men, people don't talk about this much, but there's something in a middle-aged man that wants to take care of a younger woman in need. That can be bad. That can be manipulated. Uh, don't manipulate that. But there is something in the heart of every man I've ever known. He's a middle-aged man. He's just like, oh my gosh, I wish I could also care for. Right. So there, she's a, playing that heartstring, um, and she's taking some big risks. I mean, could anything go wrong with this plan? I mean, seriously, he could he could just be a big lug nut and sleep through it. Like, I don't even notice, right? And just snore all night. And then what does she do? Nothing happens. How often is she going to have to do this? Or he could wake up and, and like see a person in the dark and start yelling, thief, thief. And then everybody gathers around and she gets arrested. That would be bad. Or he could wake up and be like, oh my gosh, there's a woman like right here by my bed. What is going on? She could be shamed, she could be embarrassed, she could be driven out of town. All kinds of things could happen. This could go wrong every which way. And yet, Naomi hatched the plan because she's starting to believe God. Like, I don't need to worry about what might go wrong because I'm seeing God do things that are right. I'm seeing God meet our needs. We had nothing meeting our needs. God has been here for us. God is showing his kindness to us. God's showing his faithfulness to us. We can do this plan not knowing how it's going to come out. Because I believe God is going to meet us when we do. I think that's where her mindset was. So they go and they take this risk. Ruth is like, I'll do whatever you say. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, wasn't drunk, but he was content, uh, they went over, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. In the, middle, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Right? It's totally dark. He has no idea who she is. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. So she, she asks him, she makes the first move to go there. He's just like startled. Oh my gosh, there's a woman near me. What do I do? Right? 
I mean, there's some, there's some introverted men in this room who could probably relate a little bit to Boaz. I would be one of them. Oh my gosh, there's a woman talking to me. I don't know what to do right now. I was thinking back to when I met Kimberly. Uh, just, I went to this Bible study group. I'd never been there before. She'd never been there before either. We went the same day the first time, and we're just like, I'm like, I mean, I'm hooked just from being in the same room. Like, this, this woman has my attention. And so we're talking uh, during the thing a little bit, and I'm thinking, this is great, but I'm super, super shy and scared inside most of the time, especially in that setting. So I'm like, there's no way. I mean, there's, I don't have a chance because there's nothing in me that would have the guts to come out and, like, talk to her. Well, we ended up talking together after the Bible study for, like, two hours out by our cars where we were parked. I'm like, this is so cool. But the idea of asking for a number, that's just not in me. That's not going to happen. So we're talking for, like, two hours. She pauses. She writes her phone number down and hands it to me. Call me. Call me. I'm like, okay. Step one, check, and I didn't have to do a thing. This is great. So then I take the number, and I still sat on it for like two weeks before I actually called her. Some guys just need a lot of help. And she's stepping out here. She literally, essentially is saying, will you marry me? She's asking him, would you extend that care that's in you around me? Now, what's really interesting, and I don't think it comes through in any of the English translations at all, is how she did this. So if you go back into chapter 2, and you look at at verse 12 in chapter 2, Boaz is, uh, is saying to her, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says to Ruth, you have come under God's wing to take refuge. And now in the middle of the night, Ruth says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me. They sound like similar metaphors, right? They sound similar to us, like, yeah, I want to take you under my wing, you know, like in an act of care or whatever. But what's interesting is that in the Hebrew, it's literally the garment and wing is the same word. It just gets translated differently. So she's, she's saying, he said to her, under the Lord, under whose garment you've come to take refuge. And now she shows up in the middle of the night and says, would you spread your garment over me? or blanket, or wing, or pick your English, it doesn't matter. It's a, she's, saying, she's saying to him what he just said to her. And he goes, ah, I get it. You're asking me to be a conduit of God's kindness by taking you in to my home in this way. Um, so it's a great line, by the way, and it, and it really it worked. He totally bought the uh, bought it. Like I'm being used by God by marrying you, so it, it touched something in him. It wasn't just do I like you? Do we want to get married? It was something deeper. Like 
as I'm trying to follow God and provide care, this is part of a theological context of my life to extend that around you as well. And so it gives them a sense of confidence to be able to respond. And he does respond. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as guardian redeemer, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so she laid at his feet until morning, but she got up before anyone could be recognized. And she said, nobody should know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So he's like, hey, let's keep this quiet for now. We don't want any rumors going around. But he also said, bring me your shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured in six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. When Naomi came home to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how'd it go? (laughs) How'd it go? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. That's that's pretty good, by the way, if you also pay for the mother-in-law's meal while you're trying to work this, this deal out. Take note. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. It's so cool to see, like, there was this story that you could, you could make it into a movie or imagine it happening. It's about a relationship. It's about people. But so clearly, right underneath the service is a story of, about God. It's a story about saying, I have a future for you. I have a plan for you. I have protection and provision for you. But if you stay sitting there on your butt, you will never experience it. You have to get up and step out. You have to move forward and take a risk. God will meet us when we do, but he doesn't meet us when we don't. There's provision out there we never find out if we don't move toward it. If God's nudging us, if God's encouraging us, if God is lighting up a path, he never lights up the whole path. I've never seen the outcome of making a move in response to what God wants me to do. But I often see maybe the first step or even the first two steps, and I go because I trust God. I, I remember when, uh, when God was calling me into the ministry, I'm like, I can't do that, right? I was struggling with a physical illness at the time. I was on all this medication. I'm like, I, I can't do that. I can't even do this, let alone that. But there was a sense of confidence in God himself and in God's call and that God had that figured out. I didn't have to have that figured out. I took steps forward. You know, I quit a job. I moved. I took like concrete steps into that reality 
and each step of the way, God met me right there. Like, oh yeah, that problem that's totally insurmountable and you have absolutely no possibility of getting through, resolved. Now, what's the next thing? And each time I took a step, God was just like, that's not a big problem for me. It's not a big problem for me. You know, and I think about that sometimes because we run into all kinds of problems in life. Antioch has challenges as well as a, as a body. They're not problems for God. He's calling us to meet people, to bring the gospel into our community. He's calling us to step out in faith. Some of you are going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God that you don't even know yet. As God calls us toward those things, we can step out because we trust him. We know who he is. We know what he does. Think about God asking Peter to step out of a perfectly good boat and stand on the water in the middle of a lake in a storm. It's, it, humanly, it's just ridiculous. But Jesus is like, I'm standing here. Come on, let's go. You can do this. Well, you can't do it, but I can do it. And there are things that you don't even know about. So just come. You know, think about God calling David as a young, probably a younger teenager, to go fight Goliath. All the soldiers of Israel's army were terrified of this guy. Even the big, mighty Saul, who stood a head and shoulder above everybody else and had king's armor, was afraid nobody would face Goliath. God nudged this kid, and he was like, I mean, there's no way he could do that. But God's like, and David knew, knew, we know from the story, David's like, it's not about me, and it's not about him. This is about God. And what God can do, and what God will do. And if God's calling us to take a step, we take the step. You know, there's story after story. Think about uh, Paul, who was called by God to go back to Jerusalem while he was traveling. And the people stopped him like, Paul, you'll get arrested if you go. I mean, one of them was even like, I'm actually a prophet, and I'm telling you with a, with a prophetic assurance, give me your belt. And he like ties his hands with the belt. If you go to Jerusalem, you will be arrested. And Paul's like, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's fine. God's calling me to do it. And it's not about what people might do to me. It's about the God who I serve, who's going to meet me as soon as I take a step toward what he wants me to do in faith. Total confidence in God. And God used that in incredible ways. So as I look at these women and this older middle-aged man and their story and what happened, it, it does, it touches me in here of what, what does God want me to do? What does God want you to do? Are we open to God's leading in our life? Are we praying for God? Nudge me, push me, show me where you want me to go. Just shine enough light for me to take the first step or two, and I'll go because I know who you are and I trust you. And I trust that you'll meet me there and that you will work your work. So I want you to be thinking about that this week. Be thinking about if, if God is, is, maybe it's even just like a call to reach out to a neighbor who you haven't talked to or you have reasons to be afraid to talk to. And God's just like, it's not about you and it's not about them. This is about me and the work I want to do. And I want to use you in this moment. 
Be ready to step out in faith because God has got this. And he knows how it's going to go. And he'll meet you there and guide us each step of the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story about these, these, uh, these people a long time ago um, who, who had to learn that they can trust you. And not just that they could maybe trust you and you might help them, but you just lavishly showed kindness each time they took a step forward in faith. And you were so good and so protective and you, you, you guided them. And Lord, we want to experience you that way. We just can't experience you that way without movement. So show us where to move, Lord. Would you show us where to go? Would you nudge us at the right time and help us to always be sensitive to what you're leading us to do, to take that step of faith and see how you meet us there. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible faithfulness and goodness and kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.